right? Why don't you uh, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles? Go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter one. So hit the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter one. As you're turning to Luke chapter 1, we're going to be in, um, in verses 26 to 38 in Luke chapter 1. And as you're going there, I think our, our culture, just the kind of the way we're, we're wired, we, we can take even something like the Christmas story and, and kind of try to hallmark movie it a little bit, right? And, and so we, we, we want to make the whole idea of that very first Christmas very, very Instagram, like let's get a filter on there, let's get the family together in the, in the, in the stable and let's make it look super nice and super comfortable and, 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 and let's have them chill out to some kid rocking a drum set for some reason, right? And, and the ox and lamb have perfect rhythm that is just a miracle, right? And, and, and it's a silent night. Okay, I've been there for the birth of three babies. Silent was not the word I would use for it, all right? I was screaming loudly. Um, <laughs> then you come to our text here in Luke, and here's what I want us to do. If we could pull away that, that kind of hallmark way of looking at things and see what's really going on here. You see, the, the author of this, this letter, the author of this book, his name is Luke. He was a physician, and he was writing this for a guy named Theophilus, saying, hey, I want to I tell you about Jesus. And I, he investigates all the eyewitnesses, compiles this historical account, and he had a purpose in it. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. Just, just kind of look up at the very beginning of the chapter. Here's his purpose. He says this, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. That you'd be certain, that, that word there, that it would be locked down, it would be, it would be tight, it would be secure. And he's saying, I want to give you the straight goods of Jesus' life. Not just so you have all the facts about who Jesus was, but, but that you can have this locked down, secure, unshakable, immovable reality of the things you've been taught. Have a, a firm foundation for your life to be built on. To, to know that, that you have this security in the midst of, of chaos, of confusion, of, of sickness, of, of maybe loneliness, of, of disillusionment, of, of things not working out the way you thought they would work out and the, things are uncertain. Or maybe for you it's, it's grief and in the midst of all of that, you'd say, I've, I've got a foundation to stand on. See, the same Luke who wrote this book also wrote the book of Acts. He went with Paul on Paul's missionary journeys. He was, he was his physician. So you can imagine a, a doctor with Paul, a guy who's getting beaten and stoned and imprisoned and bitten by snakes. Like stuff's happening to this guy. And here's Luke taking care of this guy. And, and here's what I would say with, with that. Then Luke knows, hey, I know the kind of truth that lasts through difficult times. And I know what doesn't last. That's why the passage we're going to read this morning is so huge. God, God is about to announce to Mary, God, God, the, the creator of the universe. The psalmist says that God, he, he measures the universe with the span of his hand. He's announcing to Mary, hey, you're going to have a child, and not just any child, but, but God the Son. The, the one you've been waiting for, the one that's been promised for centuries. This, this rescue plan that generations have been hoping for is finally coming. And when we get that, when we understand the reality of this, it changes everything for us. There is a sure foundation that our life can be built on in the story, in the history, in the truth of what this means. That our worship changes because of it. Our, 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 
Our joy comes. Our hope is fulfilled. No, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what baggage you bring in here this morning, that Christmas changes everything because your hope has come. That even today, even this morning, you can be sure that you have a sure and solid hope to transform your life. So the text, starting at verse 26, follow along with me as we read. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary responded and said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We're in this series we're calling Messengers. That, that how at Christmas this message was proclaimed. These, these angels, literally meaning messengers, come with this message of hope and peace and joy and salvation. And the text this morning ends with this statement in verse 38. Look at it again in verse 38, where Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How did Mary get to that place of, God, whatever happens, happens, I'm yours. I'm yours, Lord. He, how did she get there? She had a foundation, a message of hope. There was a foundation for her, a hope, a, a guarantee of a future reality that changed her present situation, this hope of Jesus, this, this guarantee of an eternity that changes even the difficult days. You see, this, this message that comes to Mary, it, it comes in a very dark time in her life, a very dark time in, in history. Times were tough for people then. The people of Israel, they're, they're occupied by the Romans. They're, they're tyrannized by this, this unpredictable lunatic leader named Herod. Just, just a desperate time of fear, of uncertainty. If you could chat it up with Mary and you'd say, hey, Mary, 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 I know things are kind of rough right now. What are you hanging on to? Like, like what gives you hope? Listen, at this time, everybody hanging on to the exact same thing, hanging on to the prophecies of this coming Messiah. Isaiah said that, that he'd be born of a virgin. Micah said he'd be born in Bethlehem. Malachi said he'd be preceded by, by a messenger who would announce his birth. All of them waiting for the hope of the Messiah that, that Christmas would, would come. And, and Christmas, the very first Christmas, it takes this, this chaotic life that, that we have even today and stamps on it this hope of the grace of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That in the midst of all of life, that, that we have this truth to stand on, this truth that says, yes, you are more messed up by sin than you'd ever let on. But because of Jesus, because of the grace of God, you are loved and accepted. 
because of his life, his death, his resurrection. When you put your hope in him, his righteousness now is your righteousness so you can stand before God as though you've never sinned. Unafraid of his wrath, his, his arms of grace and love and acceptance wrap around you. He invites you into a relationship with him. That's the hope of the good news of God's grace. Listen, no matter how troubling today may be for you, 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 you can wake up in the morning and say, listen, I've got hope. I've met hope. It's Jesus. So let's unpack this from the text this morning. Well, what does this mean for us, this, this messenger coming with this message of grace? The first point, if you're taking notes, is this. God's grace meets me where I am. God's grace meets me where I am. Starts in verse 26, and it says, in the sixth month of what? Of what? Well, oh, we find out later that Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, this angel Gabriel sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, now why would Luke say a, a, a city in Galilee named Nazareth? Why not just say it was in Nazareth? And here's why. Theophilus, the guy he's writing this, this historical account to, would have no clue where Nazareth was. It's not talked about in scripture. It's not mentioned in the Talmud. It was this podunk, nowhere kind of place. And so Luke is saying, hey, it's in Nazareth. It's, it's in Galilee. And if you grew up in a small town, you do this all the time, right? Hey, where are you from? I'm from, you name your town, right? And then you have to name something near it so that people might know. Where are you from? I'm from Kearney, huh? It's near Huntsville. Oh, okay, right? Nazareth is this place, I, when I used to, the last ministry I was a part of, last ministry I was a part of we would run um, these canoe trips, and we were in Arkansas on a canoe trip, and one of the towns we would canoe into was a little town that actually had on its population sign 43. <laughs> Here's the best part. You go into town, you talk to the locals, they're like, well, no, it's 39 because the Johnsons left last year, right? Like, that's the, that, that's Nazareth, right? That's the kind of place that, and that's where, listen, that's where Gabriel shows up. I mean, how could that be? Like, how, how could Gabriel, this messenger from God with the greatest news in the history of the world, shows up there? Why? Because God meets us where we are. And look who the announcement comes to. Verse 27. The announcement is given to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And this virgin's name was Mary. It's this, this young girl, betrothed. It's, it's like take an engagement and make it more official than that, right? That's what betrothed is. It's like, no, you actually kind of are really married. You just haven't consummated the marriage yet. And she's, she's betrothed this guy, Joseph, from the line of David, the kingly line. The text says she's still a virgin because they're not married yet. And, and so if you're going to go by historical evidence, Mary may be maybe 15 years old. And here comes Gabriel to give this announcement in Podunk, Nazareth to a teenage girl named Mary. And look what the angel says. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Favored one or, or, or graced one. The one that God chose. The one that God's pouring his grace out on. Listen, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, do you know that's you as well? That he's favored you, that he's poured out his grace on you. Listen, we don't deserve it. Like, like why would God give grace to Mary, this poor peasant teenage girl? Why, why would God choose her? Because of grace. It's all grace. 
I mean, he, he could have looked down. God could have said, Here, here's my plan. I'm going to pick a, a super wealthy woman. Uh, I'm going to pick an affluent woman. I'm going to pick an influencer, a significant woman. I'm going to pick this beautiful town. I'm going to pick, pick a, a palace so that the, the second member of the Trinity, the God the Son, could grow up with affluence and wealth and prominence, significance. He'd have the best education. He would travel. He would tour. Instead, instead God says, no, no, Mary. I choose Mary. It's amazing. Listen, this is why Christianity is so much better than just religion. Religion is everything you can do to earn God's favor. Christianity is about God just favoring you with his grace. It's, it's taking a nobody from nowhere and pouring his grace out on them. Listen, that's why we can't help but worship. It's why at the end of Luke chapter 1, Mary bursts out in a song of worship. It's why we can't help but serve God. Mary says, I'm yours. Get whatever you want. Don't miss the powerful message of, of what's going on here in Luke chapter 1. Mary, I'm sorry, Mary was not some super special woman. It's not Hail Mary full of grace, bad translation. It's not full of grace. It's, 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 so, it's not source of grace. It's Mary who was just given grace. This free gift, not love because Mary's anything special. No, she's special because she's loved by God. I love by that. I love that because it gives hope to every single person here in this room. You too. Like, like, like Mary, receive that favor from God. When you put your hope in Christ, you're graced. You're favored. Not love because you're special, but so special because of who loves you. I mean, such amazing good news. It's amazing good news for those who are sitting here this morning who know you need grace. Like, that's the best news ever, is it not? Right? It's humbling, right? If you're here and you don't realize how much grace you need, it can definitely humble you as well. I mean, Mary gets this statement. She's rocked to the core. Look at verse 29. Came to her and said, greetings, O favorite one, verse 28, verse 29. And she was greatly troubled at the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I wonder, is she troubled maybe because an angel is talking to her? Like, you kind of read scripture and go, oh, of course. They would just be like, oh, an angel, what up? Like, that's, that, right? She would be as shocked as we would by an angel. You got to, I'd say this a lot, but we got to get out of our minds what, what um, like, medieval art has shown us what angels might be. They're not flying fat naked babies, all right? Although that would be freaky. Hey, what's up? Like, that would be super weird, too. But no, no. <clears throat> they are these warrior-like creatures. Every time an angel shows up, people fall on their face in fear. And this is not just any angel. This is Gabriel. Like, this is one of the top angels. You, you read through the Old Testament, the assignments that Gabriel was given. There are only two angels we actually have the name of in Scripture, Michael and Gabriel. Like, this is kind of a, a big deal. But I don't think that's what hits her, because look at the text. It's, it doesn't say she's freaked out by the appearance of an angel. It's by what he said. It says she's troubled at the saying. What do you mean God graced me? What do you mean the Lord is with me. If that's me, I'm trying to get my head wrapped around grace in that moment as, as a nobody from nowhere, as someone who knows they're a sinner and a holy God is saying, I choose you. I love you. I mean, grace is amazing. 
I think she would be less troubled or less surprised if the angel had shown up and said, hey, Mary, Mary, listen, listen, I gotta tell you something. God's gonna judge you. God knows your heart. He knows your sin. He hears what you say. He's seen what you've done. And I'm here to tell you, you're about to be judged. I would think she would still be troubled by it, but she wouldn't be surprised by that. But look what, look what Gabriel says, verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Have no fear, Mary. God's grace is being poured out on you. Let me say a couple more things about God's grace, and then we're going to move on. Here's this. I believe when you think about grace, there are two kinds of people that go to church. There are religious people, and there are people who are really following Jesus. A religious person, they're working so hard to just try to be good, right? They've got the Santa Claus gospel. God's got a list. He's checking it twice. Let's, let's make sure I can balance out how many good things I do against all the bad things I do. So hopefully, hopefully God gifts me because he sees that I'm a, I'm a good little boy. I'm a good little girl. But listen, listen, a true Christ follower, a real Christian is somebody who sees, man, I can't make that balance work. I am so far in debt because of my sin. Sin that separates me from God's holiness and, and, and realize that, that I'm not a good little boy. I'm not a good little girl. In grace, in God's grace, he still steps in and says, I give you the gift of new life in me. Listen, if, if you're a Christ follower, if you're experiencing that grace, you're gonna have this Mary-like experience where, where you think about Jesus and his grace poured out on you and you ask this question, I mean, how can this be? This is unreal. As Christians, we should never get tired of hearing about God's grace. I watched this video of a, of a kid who was opening up. Maybe you've seen this. It was on like a Facebook Reels or one of those things where he's opening up his present at Christmas time. And it's his foster parents that are giving him the present. And, and he opens up the gift, and inside it is just this note in it that says this, we're adopting you. We're making you part of our family. I mean, the kid just busts out crying. I'm crying all over my iPad, right? Like it's just this moment. And, and listen, that's you and me. That's God saying to you and me, I'm adopting you. I've chosen you. When you get that, when you understand grace, and I don't think we'll ever understand the depths of grace, but as we try to, I mean, you just can't get past it. Like a religious person assumes, of course God loves me. I'm awesome, right? Or of course God loves me. He has to. Listen, I believe there is a security, there is a certainty of God's grace, but you don't earn it. You don't need to worry about it. But when you truly get it, you're blown away by it. Like it changes everything. You, you, you live differently. You, you walk with a different kind of joy, with, a, with a, a greater faith, with a greater peace, with a greater security, with, with greater worship. You're like, man, I have Jesus. He chose me. You've got to be kidding me. This is amazing. It changes everything. Here's Mary. She's like, God graced me? Okay, what does this mean then? Verse 31, Gabriel talking to her, and he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, we know the end of the story, but in that place, right there, when Mary goes, God's poured out grace on me. He's gifted me. What's the gift? He says, you're going to you're, you're have a son. It's not really good news for her in that moment, right? 
You're this, you're this teenage girl. You're betrothed to this guy, Joseph. You're planning the perfect wedding, right? You've picked out the dress. You've got the meal prepared. You've got the decorations all set up. You brought all the bills to your dad to pay for, right? And she's, like, she's enjoying all of this. She's looking forward to this, full of joy and hope for what tomorrow holds. An angel busts into her parents' house to give this amazing message of grace and then says, this is what it's going to look like in your life. If you're taking notes, our second and last point this morning is this. God's grace changes everything. It changes everything. Hey, Mary, you're going to be with a child. I'm going to, what? That's not good news. This crushes her dreams. I can't imagine the thoughts going through her mind, not just that you miss out on the perfect wedding you were hoping for, but, but Mary would have known what the law at that time would say, that, that she knew that death by stoning was the penalty for adultery. Her being pregnant as someone who's betrothed, not yet married, shows, shows she broke the law. And even if they didn't stone her, like, no more wedding. Like, send back the gifts, throw away the guest list, it's all off. And, and then, then being a, a single teen mom, like that's what she'd be thinking. How am I going to take care of this baby? Are my parents going to kick me out? Am I going to have to beg for food? It's not good news at all in this moment for Mary. She's been given this invitation to follow God's plan, and there are huge consequences to it. But listen, every single one of us in this room has the exact same call on our life to come and follow Jesus, whatever the cost. He says, follow me, die to yourself, take up your cross, give your life to me, to serve, to lead, to give, to go, to speak, to help, to, to forgive, to love, to sacrifice. And I have to wonder in that moment when Mary hears what the plan is, would she be wondering in that moment, man, is this worth it? Is this Jesus worth what it's gonna cost me? Like Gabriel, you've come in and you've kind of disrupted everything for me. I'm not married yet. I could be stoned for this. This, this child I'm to name Jesus. I, I just want to know one thing, Gabriel. Like, is this going to be worth it? Is Jesus worth this risk? And I mean, how often have you asked that question? I know I have. When, when you feel God pressing in on you or you're reading through scripture and you come like, whoa, that's what God calls me to. That's what it means to sacrifice. That's, that's what he means when he says forgive. That's, that's what he means when he says to bear somebody's burden. Listen, to answer that question, is it worth the risk? Is following Jesus worth the risk? Grace, to me, is the answer to that question. Why do I say that? Because when you think about what's going on here, that God, the creator of the universe, on this rescue mission, that this, this awesome, glorious creator God steps out of eternity into time in the form of a helpless baby in the hands of a teenage mom. It's unbelievable. When you think about risk, God took all the risk for us. God said, my, my name and my glory is worth this risk. My, my plan to redeem and to save and restore is worth the risk. And Gabriel says his name is going to be called Jesus, which means Savior. Like, this is a rescue plan. God says, it's worth it. Not only is it worth it, the rescue plan is going to be successful. Look at verse 32. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom 
there will be no end. Is following Jesus worth it? Yeah, he's worth it. He's worth it. Think about Mary. Mary would have watched Jesus grow up. And and then, then Mary, Scripture says, stood there at the foot of the cross as he cried out, it is finished. She saw the whole rescue mission unfold in front of her where the wrath of God that we deserve fully poured out on Christ on the cross so that we could receive grace. She was at the tomb to see Jesus risen from the grave, knowing that the mission was a success. He conquered death and sin and Satan. Mary would have been in the upper room when the Holy Spirit, the promise of the gift of the Spirit came. So I would think if you were to ask Mary, Mary, was it worth it? A thousand times yes. I'm not saying it would have been easy for her. It's it's not always easy for us. I mean, look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. Now, it seems like a very practical, biological question. Okay, Gabe, like I'm not questioning you or God. I just don't get this. I think there might be something even deeper going on than just the, the, the question of biology. Her whole world is being turned upside down right now. She's seen this huge task. She's like, I, I, I don't see how God's going to work this out. And I love the question. I, I, I love that, that, that she understands this. This is beyond me. God's not calling me to a task where I would say, yeah, I could do that. This is beyond my ability, God. And, and here's the reality, though. Whatever God calls you to, it's always, always above and beyond what you're able to accomplish on your own in your own strength. Like, yeah, but no, I've heard it said, it's stitched on my grandma's pillow that God won't give me anything more than I can handle. That's a verse, isn't it? It's not. It's not what the verse means. God is gonna give you plenty that you can't handle, listen, on your own. God will give you plenty that you can't handle in your own strength because God doesn't give human-sized assignments to us. But here's the truth we hold on to. Here's the foundation we stand on. God's able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you can abound in every good work. God promises his grace. He promises his power for his mission. Listen, there'll be times, and then you're like, yeah, I've been there. Like, there'll be times where you get to the end of yourself as a parent. You're like, this is beyond me to parent my kids. I, I can't do this, God. There may be times in your marriage where it's beyond you to live out what Scripture calls you to live out as a husband or a wife. There, there are going to be times where, where you're going to hit this place where, where following Jesus in your workplace or at your school, it's going to be like, man, I don't know if I can do that. We're being a messenger of the gospel. We're called the same things. We're to be angels into the world where we bring this message of hope. And there are times like, man, I don't know if I can do that. And some of you are like hardwired for it. You're like, man, I'll tell everybody about Jesus. I don't care, Right? You kind of got that in you. You're like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it. And then others are like me, more like me. I'm like, man, I find it hard sometimes. We're making it easy for you for Christmas Eve. Grab one of those cards, those invite cards. That's a super easy mission, right? The God-sized part of it is what, what, what the person does with it when you give it to them. Trust that to the Lord. Right? There's so many testimonies in our churches, in our three churches, that began with it was a Christmas Eve service that I came to. Like maybe we pray and trust the Lord with that and say, God, God send me out on that mission. God, give me this card and just give me the ability for even a conversation to have with a person or to secretly just slip it in her purse. No, I do, right? You kind of want to right? have some 
courage in this, Lord, right? right? But, but listen, what's going to happen is God will call us and, and often, so often, it's going to take you to the end of yourself, but it's there. It's at that end of yourself where by faith, you find so much more of Jesus. Where you begin to see the promises and the character of God that you read about in his word. You're like, man, now I see it. Mary's basically saying to Gabriel, like, I can't do this. Can God do this? Like, like if God doesn't do this, it's not going to happen, Gabriel. Like, don't play games with me. This is, this is too much for me on my own. This task is too great. This is too much for me to bear. How is God going to do it? So Gabriel answers her. Verse 35, it says, The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. I don't think Gabriel's giving her all the details. I don't think he's got like a flip chart and a, hey, here's how it's actually going to work. And here's, like he's not doing that. What he's saying is, he's going, listen, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to make this happen. And then, hey, look at Elizabeth. Look at her. Man, here's, here's an example of what God can do. Like, can you see it? God, God can make this happen. She was told she would never bear a child. Here she is in her old age, way past childbearing age. I love how he ends at verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. I mean, do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that God can create everything out of nothing? Do you believe he could take an old, barren woman like Elizabeth and open her womb? Do you, do you believe he could take a virgin like Mary and give her a son? Do you, do you believe that, that God could take on human flesh and enter into human history as Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he could raise from death? Do you believe that he could save us from death? Do you believe that he could forgive your sins through the cross? Do you believe that God can hear and answer your prayers? Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. It's not. That's why we have hope. That's, that's, that's why we sing and pray and serve because our God is the God of the impossible. That God can take nobodies from nowhere and change the world. That's what he does. Nothing's impossible with God. So, so maybe right now, where you are right now, what is that thing, that, that thing where, where you're like, man, I need to grab a hold of this truth for today for me. Nothing's impossible with God. Maybe for you this morning, it's God's grace. You're like, I don't, I don't think God could reach me. Man, you, you don't know the past I've got. You don't know the damage in my life history. Nothing's impossible with God. Maybe for you, it's a season of trial. And you're thinking, man, God, are you at work in this? Will, will I ever see good days? God, how are you going to work this out? Because from my perspective, standing here, looking forward, I can't see how this is going to work. How is this going to happen? And you hear again, nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel's saying so clearly to, to, to Mary. God's saying this so clearly to Mary and to us. Listen, listen, there is not solid hope in you. There, there is not solid hope in your stuff, in your finances, in your abilities, not, not even in your family or your friends or, or in some sort of religious system. Our hope is in the Lord that nothing will be impossible with God. That's our lockdown, secured, immovable, unshakable hope. Mary hears that and how she responds. Knowing that Jesus is worth it, knowing that God can accomplish it, 
Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you say, God, I'm all in. With my hope rooted in that grace, I'm all in. To know, God, that you're changing the entire course of the universe for that first Christmas, that Jesus, you're going to take the wrath and the penalty and the shame of my sin on the cross, what I should have taken as I offended the holy creator of the universe with my sin, and by grace, God would say, I choose you, I love you, I forgive you. Her response to that was complete submission. Then whatever you say, God, no matter how hard, I'm with you. I mean, that's the hope of grace right there. That's the hope of the God of the impossible. I mean, once you realize the kingdom of heaven is real and God's saying, I'm pouring that same thing into your life today. She says, I'm all in then. I'm your servant. I'm no longer my own. I belong to you, God. Mary's not like, okay, that sounds good. Let me, let me kind of go back and I'll do a little bit of accounting of the stuff I've got and I'll, I'll kind of save some of this. I'll give you some of my life. I'll go, no, she's like, no, it's, it's all in. And the question is, what about us? How does grace impact us? We're gonna end off this morning with communion and I'm, I'm gonna call the ushers forward even right now. The usher's going to come forward with, with trays. They're going to pass it down the aisles. There's cups stacked on top of each other. The bread is in the bottom cup. Grab both. Hold on to them as it gets passed around. But here's, here's my prayer for us. My prayer is this. God, as we celebrate communion, would you, would you fill us with the truth of your grace? See, as, as communion is being passed out, as you, as you grab a hold of it, as you hold the bread, and as you hold the cup... You hold the bread to remember this, that, that Christ's body was given in your place, in my place. You hold the cup to remember his blood poured out as an acceptable sacrifice for us to behold. So here's what I want you to do. As you grab the cup or as it's coming to you, as you're waiting, remember this. Remember that Jesus' body was given for you to have new life. When you think of the cup, remember that Jesus drank fully the cup of judgment so you didn't have to, so that this cup you drink can be a cup of celebration. That right now, in the quiet of your heart, that you remember grace. Maybe even right now, maybe even right now, between you and the Lord, you'd bring your sin, stuff you haven't brought to Him yet. You'd bring those bad choices, those things you've been wrestling with, say, Lord, I'm bringing these to you. That this morning you bring your hurts, you bring your pain, you bring your suffering, you bring your sickness. Maybe even right now you pray, Lord, remind me of my hope. Remind me that Jesus, my Savior, has come that his name is great, his throne is forever. That in Jesus, you have a past that's been forgiven. You have a, a guaranteed future. You have grace for today. As you remember God's grace, you remember that Jesus died for you 
took your sin, took your failure, gave you his righteousness in exchange, that you would say even this morning, I'm all in for you, Jesus. I'm your servant. Listen, listen, churches are full, full of people who have given up on any hope of a radically different, of an, of an abundant life. And, and we exchange this promise of new life, this promise of an abundant life for this normal church-going religious experience. And you might say, yeah, but I'm no Mary. Listen, she was a nobody, this poor young girl from a nowhere town, a sinner like you and me. Here was her only prerequisite. It was this. She responds to God's grace by faith, saying, God, I'm yours. Where's that place in your life right now where that's the, that's the prayer you need to pray? God, I, I don't know what's happening with this, but God, I'm yours. God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but Lord, I know that the first step I take is I'm yours. I'm your servant. But God, you're not wasting any of this. But God, you're still on your throne, a throne that lasts forever. If you don't know Jesus this morning, let, let me give you the great news. God says the same thing to you that he said to Mary. He says, oh, favored one, I knew you before the foundation of the world. I sent my son for you to die on the cross, to pay the penalty and shame for your sin. A, a son is born to you if you surrender to him and acknowledge that he's Lord. Maybe this morning will be that first morning you pray that, that first morning you celebrate communion where now it means something to you. Let's keep our eyes on Grace. Let's be amazed every day by God's grace. It says in Scripture that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Let's eat together. It says in the same way he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you that we would, we would be able to drink this morning together saying, this is no longer my judgment. Jesus took that. Now I get to drink this as a celebration of his grace that we would drink together. Let's drink together. As I hope you see in this text here this morning that the hope of God's grace is sure, um, but it's not all gumdrops and rainbows all the time, is it, following Jesus? But it does mean this, God will use your life for something more than just the here and now. Your life can be used for eternal things, his eternal purpose. And, and let me ask you this, do you think that for one moment that Mary right now, that Mary is, is bummed out that, that God poured his grace out on her, right? We have this eternal hope. No difficulty here will ever rob that, will ever rob what he has for you in eternity. So, so hope isn't a program. Hope isn't, isn't, isn't in, in what we do in us. It's not faith in yourself. Our hope is falling on our knees before Christ and saying, I can't do this. I need you. So I give up everything I have because you're all that I need. Jesus, you're worth it. My life is yours. Would you stand with me as we respond in worship? Let me pray for us. Lord God, you are the God of the impossible. God, I thank you that you're, you're doing even a new thing here, that, uh, a new thing in our community, a new thing at our church, a new thing in families, a new thing in hearts. 
And so, God, I pray that today faith would grow. Lord, I pray right now for those who are struggling, for those who are hurting, suffering, in a place of doubt or, or fighting fear. I, I, Lord God, I pray for those who are in a, a rut of apathy, for, the, for those who think that you're distant from them, that, that you're forgotten, God, God, that this morning that they could see so clearly how wrong they are, that, that there is a hope that is sure. And you're a God who's close. So God, with, with grace before us, with the gospel in our hearts, Lord, that we'd embrace that and put our whole lives in your hands. That we'd say, Lord, we're your servants. Let everything be done according to your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.